It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This episode of BGN Radio is brought to you by Clip It, the hottest app that is out there. Watch TV, make clips, and share. For more information, check them out at clipit.tv or check them on Twitter at clipit.tv. Hey guys, John Barchard here. You guys know how much I love to play fantasy football. So I need you to listen up because I want you to join the highest rated fantasy football app. It's called Draft. You get to play in a real live snake draft, but be done in under five minutes and they last just for one week. Drafts start every couple of minutes so you can join right now for week 10. And the best part is you get to play for cold, hard cash and get this your chances of winning are 80 percent better than on the salary cap sites on all the dfs sites because you're always trying to figure out okay where should i start this guy do the value and i don't have enough money to do all that stuff it doesn't happen on draft you get a selection of every premium player you just got to be the smartest one in the room it's a six player snake draft so you get in you get out tournaments start from one dollar to a thousand dollars to everything in between three person drafts six person drafts on and on the options are limitless and all new players get a free entry into a real money draft when you make your first deposit all you have to use is promo code bgnr that's right play a real money game for free just by using promo code bgnr and it gets even better draft is so sure that you'll love it that they are offering bgn radio listeners a money back guarantee up to a hundred dollars no excuses now just search draft in your app store or go to draft.com and come play for free right now with promo code BGNR. Hey, it's Friday. Let's kick off our shoes. We'll crack some beers a little early today and have some nice conversations. And today we're going to be talking to Ben Livingston, who is the afternoon producer of the Carlin and Show on 94 WIP. People are so into trying to make quarterbacks equal and trying to create debate. Wentz is far and above the best quarterback talent I have seen in God knows how many years. Yeah. And... The idea that he could win three, four, five Super Bowls isn't crazy to me at all. Plus, we sit down with Charles McDonald, a.k.a. 4Verts, on the Twitter.com. We discuss Atlanta and Dallas, plus how we are ranking this crop of quarterbacks between Wentz, Dak, and Goff. I think Dak and Wentz are in their own tier, and then Goff is like just behind that. But I think what Goff has done this year has just been <laughs> absolutely incredible. But first, my friends, before we can have a conversation, you and I need to talk about Timmy Jernigan, or Tim Jernigan, 
as we uh, respectfully will say, and that's what you have to do when you get a four-year, $48 million extension. There was 26 of that guaranteed. Now, as of today, at four, around 4 o'clock on Friday, we don't have the exact details or the exact breakdown of what's how that's going to pan out and if that's front-loaded, back-loaded, or otherwise. I'm going to assume that it's a good contract because every time that I've said that Howie Roseman, maybe this isn't the greatest contract, it ends up being a, a pretty good one. So unless there's something, some kind of weird curveball that we're not seeing in here, they did it again. They got value, not even, not even a third round pick they gave, a third round swap for this guy. And it's so funny that we had a discussion in the offseason about Benny Logan and whether you can pay these two defensive tackles, you know, this, this kind of money. And it's right around the same amount. And there's a clear difference in talent, clear difference. That's not a slight to Benny Logan. He he is what he is. He's a, he's great uh, against the run. Uh, but Timmy, you know, getting away from that two gap, I I had my reservations on like, well, is that really going to work? Is he going to dominate like he is? And the answer has been yes so far. Sure, and it doesn't show up in the stat sheet. Eleven tackles, you know, one one and a half sacks somewhere around there. But him and Fletcher Cox have this symbiotic relationship where you know last year when you saw Fletch kind of struggle a little bit, and granted, he stepped up his game uh, tenfold, but you don't really see any kind of like Kyle Long is standing up Fletcher Cox, although we, we get to see that in about two weeks, so maybe that theory is still true. But last year, that's what happened. You know, there wasn't a lot of attention uh, that you could really needed to divert away from Benny Logan. But Tim Jernigan, and the day that he showed up to training camp, into OTAs, into... All of it. When he just has that, I, I'm gonna, I'm just going to kill you, type of face. You know, when he goes and says, "I'm just gonna attack, 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 attack," and that's what this defense allows me to do. Uh, then you start to go, okay, yeah, maybe I was clearly wrong about you know his mentality, his motor, his whatever. And sure, we still got to see what happens in the next, uh, you know, ass end of the season here. But for them to make this now, I don't think the Eagles really do that a lot, unless I'm mistaken. I don't think Howie and Jeffrey and now Joe, I don't think they just hand out extensions in the middle of the season. But, like, why even bother getting to that point? Why even bother trying to fight the offseason, which you're already going to have problems with, which we'll talk about that a little bit, too. You know, this is this was a big surprise, I think, for a lot of us. Certainly was for me, because it just it doesn't happen that often. And especially because that agent, client, general manager, and owner are all on the same page after nine games. Be like, yeah, it's just a great fit here. So now you have again, that defensive line isn't really going anywhere, kind of. And that's the uncomfortable conversation that you gotta have. Next, right? So you look at, all right, Timmy's going to be here, and now you start looking at cap numbers and going, well, it really really wasn't great to begin with. Unless, unless again, that's kind of the, the interesting detail here is maybe next year there's a downtick because Howie does what he does with salary caps and contracts that maybe Tim's you know, f- first year of this extension isn't large where it's only like 2 or $3 million against the cap, and then it just gets bigger and bigger as they move on, which then would allow you to keep maybe everybody here. 
Maybe that allows you to keep Vinny Curry and Brandon Graham here. And I would say, obviously, Vinny's kind of not safe, and Torrey Smith is not safe heading into next year. They, they were going to be not safe regardless of what's happening. And we got to see the emergence of Mac Collins and whether that continues and and if they and if they feel comfortable, you know, then they can they might be able to say goodbye to Tory or restructure his contract because once again it doesn't cost them anything to get rid of him and it saves them about five million dollars going into it. The same names will will remain the same. Michael Kendricks, yes, that's going to be a question mark. And people got mad at me too when I was bringing up Brandon Graham. Listen, guys, you know it's thirty, it's six and a half million dollars in savings. If they were to deal with them. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked by it. It's unlikely. I don't think that's going to happen, especially when, just like we said, this thing is going so good. Why would you want to break it up? I certainly wouldn't want them to break it up. But if it's the right situation, or do you have to decide between is, or, or do you have to hold on to Brandon Graham versus Alshon Jeffrey or whoever? Now, most people are going to say, yes, of course you hold on to BG there. Of course you do. But then you're like, all right, well, if you're getting rid of Tory and you're not resigning Alshon, then what was the point of this past offseason? You know, I, I, so so I don't know. I think it, everything's going to work itself out fine, as it usually does. And we don't need to get into a panicked frenzy about this is going to happen or that's going to happen. I'm just saying, in the landscape of things, they're going to have to make probably a couple of tough decisions going into next year. But maybe it won't matter because everybody will be in Minnesota celebrating and everybody will get drunk, and everybody will take pay cuts to stay here. And I honestly do believe that that is possible with all of this. Not just like, okay, yeah, sure. No one's going to be team-friendly and whatever. And, the, you know, we all know that NFL contracts are absolute uh, toilet paper. We've said that a million times on this show, uh, thinking of Matt Daring and friends. Because it's, it is. And I wouldn't want people to take less money. I think they should get as much as possible wherever they go. But in terms of Alshon and in terms of the rest of the guys that they're going to have to make decisions on, if they get to the NFC Championship game or if they get to the Super Bowl, doesn't that kind of automatically make you a hot free agent anyway? Like, even if you are just a role player in a Super Bowl team, doesn't that automatically mean you're going to get paid somewhere? Regular amount, over amount? Happens a lot. Happens all the time, especially here. We're seeing it now. Garrett Blunt, Chris Long. Went to the Super Bowl, won it. Makes them commodities, whether it's one year, two years, three years, four years, whatever it is. And they're a little farther along in their career, but not like a guy like Vinnie Curry. So if Vinnie Curry ends up winning a Super Bowl, I think, you know, they would be, <laughs> be fine if he got to, hey, just, just move on from me and I'll go sign somewhere else. I've already proven, especially this year, the way I'm playing and the way I'm uh, adapting myself to be uh, a lot better run stuffer than I've showed before in the past. Sure, maybe I'm not worth the the rest of my forty eight million dollar contract or whatever it is, uh, but you can cut me and I'll go. I'll go find a spot, or maybe that's Chris Long, or maybe that's whoever. That's something they're going to have to determine. But regardless of all that, uh, Timmy Jernigan, excuse me, Tim Jernigan being here for the long term is great. And I am so excited, and I'm so happy that those two guys are going to be the wrecking crew for the next three years. And all of this, again, lines up perfectly when, when you have to pay Carson Wentz. So you dive in now, and you just feed them the money, and that's what they should do after this year, too. You should be right up to that cap limit, and everything ends the moment you have to pay Carson Wentz. So when, when, again, I know people are going like, oh, the window could be open. And listen, 
Carson Wentz ends up being Tom Brady or Joe Montana or somebody great where he can be a dynasty quarterback, fucking A, great, awesome. But for the time being, you have this perfect window of opportunity. Jernigan fits in that opportunity, and whatever happens in free agency is also a part of that opportunity. Unless, of course, they just win the Super Bowl this year, and it doesn't really matter. But this is the time to buy heavy on those type of guys because for me, and I know you can debate pass rusher or uh, D tackle or corner or whatever, uh, but it, but those two guys together are the most important part of that defense. Sure, it's going to be Sidney Jones and, and to see what happens. And sure, when Ronald Darby comes back, it's going to be different or better or whatever. The reason why the secondary is working between Jalen Mills and between Patrick Robinson and the rest of the crew that's there where they rotate, even Jalen Watkins looks good in certain snaps. And even the, I mean, they threw 20 different defensive players against Denver. The, the biggest reason is because of that defensive line. BG included, Derek Barnett included, the whole crew, Vinnie Curry. Everybody is clicking on all cylinders there. It's the most important weapon of this Eagles defense, and they did the right thing with it. All right, let's get to the conversations. Let's sit down first with our good friend, Ben Livingston. All right, so Friday Conversations turns us right into the our own building, where we're at right here, 94 WIP. We are, and now, see, here's the thing. I think Ben Livingston, who's our next guest, is one of the smartest producers I've ever worked with in my entire life. However, somehow, he has the worst sports takes I've ever seen on Twitter. So, Ben, how is this possible? How can you be so good as a radio producer and have such bad sports takes? See, I was smiling so wide I couldn't talk there. And now, now you brought me back down to earth, I gotta man. Level, i got to level you, just, you like, out. You just got to you know, get it right in there like that. Oh, my God. Yeah, I thought that was like the nicest setup ever. So uh, Ben is the uh, producer for the uh, the afternoon show with uh, Chris Carlin and Ike Reese, uh, and I, I don't know how how is it working in in Philadelphia because you've had quite a journey. I know you you grew up here. You went to Pittsburgh for a little bit. We were actually just talking about you know kind of the the differences between both of those cities. How does that work for you? Well, I went to college in Pittsburgh, and when you're in college, and I'm sorry for that. Yeah, I know. I, <laughs> Look, I, I missed out on a lot. Yeah. It's kind of crazy, though. Like, I left in 2009, and that's right when everything went to crap. Like, I was there for the World Series. I was ostensibly there for the second World Series, and then I was gone. And what happened since then? Well, you you made the, the Penguins win a couple of cups, so yeah. we've got to blame you for that a And I missed Chip Kelly, but yeah. I think in the end that was probably a good thing. But no, I, I went to college there, and... When you're in college, you really take whatever opportunity you can get, and it's much easier to get in the ground floor somewhere where you're around. Like, I applied to WIP, but it's very hard to get an internship somewhere when you're 300 miles away. Yeah. I always wonder about this. Like, if I was applying for a job out in Seattle, like, would I have to fly there to interview in this day and age? Uh, n probably not, but, I mean, at some point, I think you still would have to. So I, I used to do the same thing when I used to send out yeah. whatever. I would just change my address to something that was around the area. So That's because, smart. because they always threw it in the trash. Everybody told me, oh, yeah, if, if you're out of state, they'll throw it in the trash. So you got to pretend like you're, you kind of live there. Right. So I was in that same situation. And so there was a station that was just starting up there. And I figured, what the heck, I'll apply there. And I applied to maybe 100 stations. And I ended up getting the one that was right in Pittsburgh. So I started working there. And they just liked me so much that even after I interned here the next summer, I stayed there. And 
it's weird. Like when you go to college somewhere outside of where you grew up, you never expect to stay there. Like when I was at Pitt, I was still a diehard Phillies fan, diehard Eagles fan. I hated the Penguins. I hated the Steelers. (laughs) And then there was this time when I graduated in 2013. And everybody will have this if you ever move to another city where you have to decide, am I here or am I not here? And once you realize that you're there and you're not just there temporarily and you change your address, you have to decide, am I going to torture myself? And be like, no, I'm an Eagles fan. I'm going to root for the Eagles. I'm going to wear my Eagles jersey we'll everywhere. Yeah. Or am I just going to have fun? And I realized the best thing you can do for yourself in that situation is don't turn on your teams, but don't torture yourself. Like the Steelers, I became a fan. I had fun. I went to the games. I didn't limit my excitement because they're not in the same division as no. the Eagles. With the Penguins, it was a little more complicated. I had to find ways to... Not become a fan of the Penguins, but still enjoy how happy everybody around me is. Because it's tough to go to a championship parade. It's tough to go to a cup finals game and not enjoy it. I mean, you have to enjoy it. You have to be happy for all your friends that are out there. You know, I don't think anybody has really had the experience like I've had of going somewhere, trying not to become a fan while spending every day working with those fans and taking calls from those fans. I got up every morning when I was doing morning radio there as a producer And I was talking to these people who were celebrating these wonderful moments in their lives, watching the Penguins win cup after cup. And I tried to hate it. Like, even as you're saying it, I'm freaking out. I'm like, no, I would never. There are certain things I could. Like, I would be okay with, you know, the literally anything else other than the Penguins in that town. I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. I mean, I guess the reaction part of it. I get what you're saying, though. Like, the, the joy in people's you know, lives and how you're kind of affecting them by just being a part of that scene. Yeah, it'd be hard to be like, ah, you fucking assholes (laughs) or or whatever. But it's universal, man. Like, sports joy, as much as we want to pretend that it's us versus them, it's universal. And I got into this industry because I love that joy. I wanted to come in the day after the Phillies won the World Series and do nothing but talk about the World Series. But I was at school and nobody gave a shit. They were just (laughs) saying, it was like, all right, the Phillies won the World Series. Time for morning announcements. I'm like, what what are you all doing? What are you talking about? (laughs) We're not going to celebrate this this all day. This is in 1983. Good Lord. I mean, it's been a while. Uh, yeah. And do you find, and I know it ha- It happens all the time. Like, I'm a Cubs fan, and people hate that I'm a Cubs fan. Yeah. So I stopped tweeting about it. I really just kind of slowed it down. I was like, all right, you know, I'm going to root for two National League teams. I'm going to be weird about it. Do you find that people pick on that when you were in Pittsburgh or any other fandism that you have in Philadelphia that people would be like, like right now, I'm sure somebody's getting upset. I was like, how the hell did that guy celebrate a, a penguins cup do you get do you get a lot of that resistance oh all? absolutely yeah. everybody in pittsburgh thinks i'm a philly fan everybody in philly thinks i'm a pittsburgh fan <laughs> so i can't win anywhere <laughs> Shit. It, and, and it was kind of funny too like when pitt and villanova played in that uh game going to the final four yeah. the, the regional game and scotty reynolds hit that shot i was in a position where at the time i was a nova fan and so I was really, really happy. And then literally three months later, I go to school and I suddenly have to treat that like the worst moment in my life. <laughs> and so like, you can't win on either side because everybody says yeah. you're betraying them no matter what you do. So it's a weird situation to be in. And I, I always hated people who rooted for two teams, but I know who my teams are. Like, yeah. I root for Philly teams, except for obviously, you know, college because I root for the school I went to. But for me, there's still this feeling of like if the Steelers played the Eagles in the Super Bowl, I would dread that. Because I know I would root for the Eagles. When they played last year, I rooted for the Eagles. But you get this feeling inside of you. It's like watching your son play your 
nephew in sports. Yeah, it like, feels like that. Yeah, You know who you're rooting for, but it still hurts. Like You don't want to see your nephew suffer, and I wouldn't want to see as many Super Bowls as they've won. I wouldn't want to see Steelers fans suffer at the hands of oh, my team. suffer. Come I, on. I, I they could, don't I suffer anything. They can't say that. I mean, they can just be like, all right, well, at least they're sixth in the tank. Uh, yeah, like Philly fans have suffered when it comes to football. Oh, yes. That's suffering. We deserve it. More. Raiders fans, that's suffering. You know, it's the uh, Browns fans, that's really suffering. Uh, not the, and they, you know, being in Pittsburgh, I'm sure they gloat about that all the time. So it makes that fun. Well, you know what Pittsburghers do that's really annoying is, and this is something Everything. I was able to handle as an outsider, <laughs> is they are ludicrously sentimental. Like here, we're sentimental, yes. but we understand that sometimes we need to separate. So I'll give you an example. When they won the cup a couple years ago. And Marc-Andre Fleury was their goaltender going into the playoffs. And then he got hurt. Matt Murray was playing out of his goddamn mind. And the entire time they're going, oh, you got to play Fleury. Fleury's our guy. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? This guy's going to win the goddamn uh, the Hans Smythe trophy. Yeah, yeah. He's playing absolutely incredibly. And you're telling me you want to play this other guy there. because he's your guy? <laughs> you guys need to shut the hell up. And you know Typical. what? I was right. I was totally right in the end. They won the cup. And where is Fleury now? Fleury's off in Vegas, yeah. you know, uh, you know, crying his eyes out every day. That's He's right. not in Pittsburgh anymore. And they have <laughs> one of the best goaltenders in the league. But that's what makes it different is here, whereas we're too critical, there, they are way too uncritical. Yes. Like, they will cling to their guys for way too long. They can't see any other side to things. And so having that little bit of both sides of me is I can come to Philadelphia and be like, guys, calm down. And I can go to Pittsburgh and I can be like, guys, get pissed off. Yeah, and you yeah, can see seriously. both sides of it. Yeah. And that's what's funny, too. It's like you're I'm thinking back to like Corey Clement and the running back situation and even the year before with wide receivers and Paul Turner and how they just you just hold on to guys. It's not as bad as that because you can at least see the other side. There will be. And, and sometimes you'll be like, all right, you're right. You're probably you're probably right with that. Like if Corey Clement had played in Pittsburgh. And he had been from, you know, like North for sales or something like in the suburbs there. <laughs> they would have marched on the facility yeah. if he wasn't starting day one. They think every <laughs> single athlete from the suburbs there is like Jesus Christ walking. I'm yeah. not even kidding. Yeah. And they, that's Everybody. What, that's why I'm sure James Conner is Jesus around there. You he know? had the highest selling jersey in the NFL. It's crazy. That he just is a tells third you round pick. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny, too. I'm just going to transition over because sure. I, I think – if you were to tell somebody, how do you produce a radio show or how do you get into producing a radio show? What would you tell them right now? It's a very weird job because I feel like half of my job is knowing what my job is. I always equate it's a good way it, to put it. Yeah, I yeah. always equate it to Adam Gase when he was working with Peyton Manning. And obviously now you don't want to be Adam Gase. But back then, <laughs> yeah. this whole thing was we all knew that being Peyton Manning's offensive coordinator was not that important of a job because Peyton Manning can handle himself. But Adam Gase was still talked up a lot, and that was because he found ways to help make Peyton even better. Look, there's no host out there, virtually no host, that can't survive without a good producer. But good producers can help make them better. So my mm -hmm. job is to be like Adam Gase was for Peyton Manning. I'm not telling him what to do. I'm not making Peyton Manning Peyton Manning, but I'm going out there and helping him find ways to be better. I'm helping him find ways to see things from a different angle, get another voice in his ear. And sometimes in that situation, you can be the difference between going to the AFC Championship game and going to the Super Bowl because those little things yeah. that he can do just a bit better, you help him do better. You're not making Peyton Manning into a Hall of Famer. You're making that little 1% difference, maybe 2% on a good day. And granted, producers get paid you know, commensurate with that, and producers sometimes <laughs> yeah. get treated commensurate with that. But one, it's a way of getting to other jobs. And two, 
it's a job that gets very underappreciated because nobody really understands what we do because a lot of us don't even understand what we do. We're just there to do whatever we can to help make the situation better the same way that Adam Gase was there just to help make Peyton Manning better in any way he could. Yeah, and that's where it's amazing that when you recognize it, you notice the difference almost immediately. And I felt that way about audio editors for a long time that said that they edited audio. And <laughs> the difference between that and then you meet a professional, you're like, holy crap. It's the same reason when I met you and James, and I was like, wow, yeah. there is a vast difference here between what's going on and what, I'm, what I've been used to. Because I think most people are programmed to like press buttons, and they're called producers, and they don't really understand, like you're saying, what your job really is throughout that entire process. And you want to understand what producers do and how big of a difference they can make at their best? Watch, like, the worst Fox or CBS broadcast on a Sunday <laughs> and then watch yeah. Sunday Night Football and realize so that much is different. entirely because of Fred Goodelli and all the work that they do, that those producers have built that broadcast into something that special through everything. Not just one specific thing they're supposed to do, but they've done everything from coaching the broadcasters to the music to the presentation to the cameras. Same thing for us. Our job is to find any way to make the show better. And you can see, you watch like a, you know, a Browns versus Bengals game and you have the worst crew on it. And then you see what's happening when not just with Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth, but all the little things, the graphics, yes. the way they present the game, the way they make it feel big with Fred Goodelli on Sunday Night Football. And the timing That's what producers do. Too, yeah. Exactly. And it's, and it's such a big, big difference on it. And I know that, you know, we have conversations about this too. And I think there's a flurry of... I don't know. It's sure the industry is changing, and people are kind of putting, you know, radio's different, podcasting's different, writing's different, all that's different. And there, there's a lot of this is dying stuff that always continues to go on and happen. Is the industry actually dying, or is just it? It's, it's saturated, and it just needs to figure it out. Still, I kind of figure that's still it, and it's in a period of transition. I think everything's pretty much going to be digital. Eventually, when we're old men, we're not going to have probably traditional FM stuff or there. It'll still be there. But most of the time, it's, you're, you're going to be listening through your phone or through your car. Like, I don't think anything's really changing. It's just in how we consume most of these things. But how do you feel about somebody jumping in in any platform to get into this industry? Well, the company line is always, no, it's just changing. <laughs> of course. And I don't want to give you that. But I think the best advice I ever got on this was from one of my old bosses who said, they said radio was going to die when TV started. And what happened? Radio is still around. Is it on the same level? No, it's different. And it serves a different audience. And I think what I've noticed is that whereas maybe in the media 20 years ago, you had a lot of people making $100,000, now you have five times as many people making $20,000. Yes. There is still an opportunity for you to be great. You look at what Barstool does. There is a chance for those guys who came from nothing to get to that point and make way more money than probably I'll ever make. You look at what you guys have done. You guys 20 years ago wouldn't have existed, but you're able no. to build what you've built right. because there's that opportunity. And so what I tell everybody is always try to find a way in any way you can. Do everything you can. When I was in college, I wanted to be a talk show host, but I was doing public address announcing for a club hockey team. And you might be like, Ben, why would you use your Friday nights doing that shit? Like, <laughs> that's not going to get you anywhere. But I did everything because I was able to get my feet in everything. I had experience in everything. And so when the time came, not only was I able to do everything, but I was able to know what I did best. If I hadn't tried this and I had just been like, I want to be a play-by-play -play guy, I would never have discovered how good I am at producing. Yeah. And I think that's part of the key now. You know, you look at what Vince does, Vince Quinn. 
what I love about Vince is Vince tries so many different things. You know, Vince was a producer and he was a talk show host and he realized he wanted to do this. And he, he wanted be to do this podcast yeah. and he does a great job of it because he tried different things. If he had never tried producing, maybe he wouldn't have realized how much he wanted to do this. So my advice to people is don't go into it saying you want to be X and you want to make a lot of money. Go into it wanting to do everything and do everything on the planet to try to get in. I have hosted talk shows. I've done play-by-play. I've produced. I've done everything in between. I've done public address announcing. And now I know what I'm good at, but I also have those other skills so I understand different things. The biggest mistake people make when they get into this industry is they think they know what they want to do right away. And Stephen A. Smith said it best when he gave career advice to people. He said, it's not about doing what you want in life. It's about doing what you're good at. That is yeah. the biggest mistake people make is they go, I want to be a play-by-play announcer. And they sit there for 10 years just doing play-by-play. They don't try anything else. And suddenly they're doing single-A play-by-play when they're 45. And they're like, crap, I'm making $15,000 a yeah. year. And I haven't tried anything else. Do everything. You will find what you're good at if you're good at something. And that is what will make the difference. Most of the people who succeed in this industry are not people who just worked really, really, really hard. They're also people who found what they were good at. So try everything. You will figure it out. And you know what? If you're really good at it, you will find a way to make money as bad as this industry can get. Yeah, and that's a, I 100% agree with that. I mean, that's a, And it's funny, too, but you, you say try the things and find out what you're good at. Because ultimately, that's going to make you the happiest anyway. You know, even if it's like, man, I wish I could have. You can still do all those other things on the side. But like, sure, now you have this thing. And I think about young Jake Pavorsky, who I love dearly. And I think is one of the most talented people that I've ever met in my life at such a young age. And that's, I think, I'm just projecting here. But it looks like that's what happened, too. He just kept pounding away and pounding away at blogging and writing and just get burnt out. And you're like, ah, God, I don't want to I don't want to do this anymore. And that's. And I did the same thing. I went into, I'm going to be play-by-play. I'm going to do this. I'm just going to do voiceover. I'm just going to do that. And you bounce around. I'm going to be a record executive. You know, like <laughs> all, all these different things. And you're like, oh, no, wait. This is, I'm, I'm good at doing this. So I'm going to stick at, at doing that. And also, if you are good at what you love, holy shit, you hit a home run. Rarely does that happen. But, you know, you're, you're going to town and, and doing a lot of that stuff. It's great advice. Uh, let's just talk about the Eagles for a little bit here, too. And actually, I just mainly I just want to ask you what it. You what, want my bad sports takes? Right? No, I I want to know <laughs> what Philly has right and what does Philly have wrong about this Eagles team in your mind? I don't think Philly has a lot wrong about this team. I just don't think they realize how right they are about the team. I think that's the biggest problem is that people put limiters on everything. And I said this five weeks ago. People said, "Well, they're not going to go fifteen and one." And I'm like, "Wait, why?" The Panthers did this a couple years ago, yeah. coming off a seven-win season. Why can't the Eagles? And I think the problem is people have put themselves in this state of mind where they don't want to say something ridiculous. And in doing so, they've stopped themselves from dreaming. We always talk about it as people are afraid, but I also think people are afraid of sounding stupid. You know, like this guy who got an Eagles 2018 to 2020 Super Bowl yeah, champion okay, tattoo. Why not? Is that going to happen? Probably not. But when I say the Eagles are the new Patriots— People look at me and they go, what the hell are you talking about? Listen, man, you're not far. No, see, okay, we're more in agreement on this than I thought we would be. But it's it's crazy because people stop themselves from thinking these things, and I don't know why. How many quarterbacks have won MVP in their second season? Not many. 
I, it doesn't happen. <laughs> or in the discussion. Yeah, it, yeah. I, Kurt Warner did, but Kurt Warner wasn't the age that Wentz yeah. is. He was hanging out in that high V for a long time. So I think we made this mistake last year, and we're making it again this year, where we look at how special Wentz is, the combination of leadership, the combination of arms talent that we're seeing this year, and the combination of escapability, all of these things. And for a guy that's really tall, too. And we just start putting limitations on it because we're taught to be reasonable. Yeah. And I think we have to realize that, well... It doesn't mean it's going to happen. The potential here, they could absolutely go 15-1. Look at their schedule. They might only have to beat one team with a winning record the whole year to go 15-1. I mean, seriously, it's insane. And the funny thing about that is, we, and especially the the people who are back and forth about this team when it comes to, well, they haven't played anybody yet. Why, Why is suddenly the Rams the barometer? Or the Seahawks? Or... Whoever's on the rest of the schedule, or Dallas, or the Vikings, or whatever. The Vikings would remember what happened last year. (laughs) Does nobody remember that? People are going, "Well, the six and two, they're legitimate." What happened when they went five and zero last year? Yeah, (laughs) they came to Philadelphia and they got the shit kicked out of them. And it'll happen again to them. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure it will too. And why isn't that's why I'm saying why aren't the Eagles the barometer in the NFC? Why why is it they have to play the fucking Rams or whoever else? That's that's one thing that has astounded me from the naysayers of that. And you're not far off from what we were saying in the past couple of weeks. Like, what if he's what if he's fucking Tom Brady? I what if he's Joe Montana? He Name me one quarterback that has been this age and this good. Off the top of my head, it's extremely hard. I mean, I'm, I'm sure Peyton Manning in a second year kind of looked like this, but <laughs> they didn't. That's a, but, that's a, but I'm saying like, yeah, like I don't know, I don't know. And and it's it's astounding to me how people can't look at his game and go, yeah, he has that potential when you're having a golf or Dak or. Winston or whoever discussion like he clearly looks different the Dak thing and I know we, we've talked about this a billion yeah, times. yeah of course and we'll continue to forever the Dak thing epitomizes it to me people are so into trying to make quarterbacks equal and trying to create debate Wentz is far and above the best quarterback talent I have seen in God knows how many years yeah and the idea that he could win three four five Super Bowls isn't crazy to me at all. It doesn't mean I think it's going to happen because yeah. you see what happened with Andrew Luck. It's not just about him, but him alone the if thought he continues of on this trajectory. It would not surprise me at all if they win three Super Bowls in the next six, seven years. It wouldn't at all. But people are so afraid of sounding stupid that they can't embrace this idea. <laughs> and people don't want to have fun. They're afraid if they have fun, it'll make everything suck when they lose. I got news for you. It's going to suck when they lose no matter what. It's not going to be easier because you didn't have fun. Enjoy this. Enjoy the ride perfect example of this is you want to talk about the legacy of Roy Holiday. Roy Holiday did not even get to a World Series yet, but he gave us so many special moments en route. If we had said then, as Phillies fans, that it already won a World Series, well, until we get to the World Series, it doesn't matter. We wouldn't be remembering this guy the same way. Honor that legacy and be happy. Enjoy these moments along the way. That was his advice for life, and that's what we need to do. Let yourself dream. Let yourself be happy. And you know what? If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You'll have another shot. And you think, like, the Dolphins fans were upset that they had Dan Marino or John Elway, you know, uh, in, in Denver and up until, like, you know, sure, it was creeping in 99 and 2000 until he won one. But, I mean, it's there, and that's why I think. I, I, I do think this has a chance to be a dynasty. I, with Between the defense and everything that they have going, and there's going to be moving parts and whatever, but you've got a young enough team with young corners, with now Timmy Jernigan and Fletcher Cox there, they're going to be in their primes. like, And you have a quarterback that uh, has alleviated two major injuries so far this season. That doesn't just happen out of thin air. It's pretty crazy. So I totally agree. Uh, ben Livingston, you can hear him every Monday through Friday.
uh, right here on the 94 WIP Airways. It's the uh, Carlin and uh, Rhea show, and we appreciate you hanging out, buddy. Thanks, man. Thanks, man, and I'll let that go about my takes because we agreed on one thing. <laughs> I know. Well, what are get, the chances? Keep the peace, and it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing when that happens. And we move quickly from Philadelphia to Atlanta as we go say hi to our friend, Charles McDonald. You might know him from uh, the Setting the Edge podcast with uh, Justice Mosqueda, uh, or maybe you've uh, read his stuff on Football Outsiders or The Falcoholic, which is our sister website from Bleeding Green Nation. Charles, what's going on, buddy? How are you? Nothing much. Just uh, trying to stay positive through this dark Atlanta Falcon season, but <laughs> the show must go on. The show must go on indeed, and we're all paying attention to this because I got to say, I'm feeling pretty good about you guys taking care of business against Dallas because that's what Vegas is telling me. But uh, if we break down the numbers, I'm, I'm not feeling so great. How, how can Atlanta win this football game, first of all? Uh, they can win this game by getting their offense back on track. And, I mean, it's just been bizarre to watch how that offense is, I, I guess, devolved from last season where, you know, I, I don't think even if Kyle Shanahan had come back after uh, the Super Bowl loss – there was still going to be some regression. I mean, Matt Ryan throwing seven picks in like almost 10% of his or almost 8% of his passes going for touchdowns is just, it's not sustainable any other way. But to see it fall, see the offense fall as far as it's fallen is just kind of crazy. And, and I, I think a lot of that just comes to they're not able to adjust uh, in the second half. Like they're seventh in first half scoring and 28th in second half scoring. So that's just kind of shows you the big problems with them not being able to game plan for the second half. Uh, I, I think Dallas's offense probably just steamrolls the Falcons defense. But if Atlanta can, uh, if they can score in bunches, like we all know that they have the talent to do that because they've done it last year. They just kind of get the, got to get their head out of their ass. Uh, that's going to be the key to the game for them. And just looking at, you know, it's scoreboard scouting and, and fantasy scouting, when you, you look at the backfield, a ton of carries, not a lot of yards, which is a lot different from what was going on last year. Is that an offensive line problem, or is that just a kind of a regression problem? Yeah, I think it's a creativity problem. You know, they they don't do that much in their running game anymore outside of inside zone and, you know, maybe the occasional uh, jet sweep to Taylor Gabriel, which, you know, if you guys watch that Sunday night game against the Patriots mm-hmm. and they did that on fourth and one on the goal line, that's kind of – a summation of the Falcons offense this season along with that Julio drop last weekend. Oof, but yeah. yeah, that that was awful. But you know, <laughs> like l- last weekend against the uh against against the Panthers, they they got to a situation where it was first and five, right? And a- after a neutral zone infraction by Kwan Short or Starlo Tulele, and they were on the Panthers 39 yard line, first and five. So obviously, you know, you gotta come away with some points from this drive. First and five, they hit a sweep to Taylor Gabriel, goes for two yards. Second down, they go up the gut with Tevin Coleman. Third down, they go up the gut with Tevin Coleman. Fourth down, they go up the gut with Devontae Freeman. So it, it's just, you know, you couldn't sprinkle, uh, you know, a sweep in there or maybe a stretch play. It's just they, they don't really have a plan on how to set things up and create explosive plays for themselves. And it starts with the running game, too. And, uh, yeah, just moving on just from from this game alone, what's your what's your take on – just the NFL in general. I think there's a large conversation on, and maybe we kind of do this every year, but I don't. Who's the best team in the NFL? Oh, I think it's the Eagles, pretty fairly easily right now. Uh, just because when you look at what what they have, it it's just the whole the whole package. You know, you got an offense uh, that defense is is rolling. I mean, you, you guys are essentially too deep on the defensive line. Got good safeties. I think. 
Jalen Mills has played a lot better this year than he has last year. Uh, that's been a huge step for you guys. And, I mean, if, when you have an offense that's rolling, a defense that's rolling, uh, that's going to be tough to stop. And, uh, you know, you guys have you guys still have a lot of home games too, don't you? So that should yeah. be – still uh, Yeah. <laughs> there was a nice stretch right here where there's about dude, five weeks of staying at home. So, yeah, that, that definitely helps. And everybody keeps looking at – I guess that's a conversation that we were having before too where it's just – I, I don't know what the barometer is, I guess, for Eagles fans because I don't. I mean, maybe there isn't one. Maybe it's they should be looking the other way. Like the Rams aren't a benchmark for the Eagles. The Eagles are a benchmark for the Rams and Seattle and whoever else is is left on their schedule. Is that how you're kind of viewing it then? Yeah, I think like the three most well-rounded teams in the league right now are the Rams, the Steelers, and the Eagles. And I I just, I just think with the way the Eagles' defense is playing right now, and I mean their offense can score in bunches. And Carson Wentz is playing out of his mind. Doug Peterson is. Uh, he's been calling fantastic games. I just kind of like the explosive elements on both sides of the ball for that team. But I think those three are at the top of the league. New England, you know, they can always make some noise, but their defense has been just horrific this year. Yeah, Bill, uh, Bill's, uh, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, playground uh, routine, I guess, from this past offseason, finally caught up to him after, uh, I think he does that all the time. He just doesn't. All the time, yeah. D- doesn't, uh, d- doesn't, because it's Tom Brady, and that's what's uh, infuriating about that team a lot of the times, as I'm sure you're still trying to get over uh, that stuff from last year. And, yeah, it's just so weird. Like, it, And um, I'm not going to stick with Atlanta because you've been through enough pain already but like you know Carolina same thing it just kind of disappears all of a sudden after you lose a Super Bowl like that is definitely a thing right uh, it, yeah because it's hard to get back and I think with the way Atlanta lost was you get so close I mean you're literally seven you have a three touchdown a three touchdown lead you're up by 25 points with 17 minutes left and then you end up losing that game and the hard part about that is you have to hit reset on the entire process. You got to go back to preseason, regular season, and hope you can hit a hot streak in the postseason like they did. Like get, I, I don't think people understand how hard it is to get to the Super Bowl back to back to back years, which makes the Patriots run even more incredible. Yeah, you have to be a dynasty, or you got to change your coach or your quarterback. That's pretty much how it goes. Yep, <laughs> uh, through, throughout that entire process. Speaking of that, and we know that obviously, if you follow Charles, I don't think you were the biggest Wentz guy last year and going into this season. And, of course, there's always going to be some random Dak versus Wentz uh, argument because it's the Cowboys and the Eagles more more than likely. And and everybody wants to be right at the same time, which makes this whole thing a, a ton of fun as um, the rivalry will uh, once again continue here in about two weeks, and that's what all the Eagles fans are waiting for. What, what has changed your mind about Carson Wentz from, you know, you I, you had some you had some pretty hardcore flags planted about Carson Wentz and what he is <laughs> and what he could be. So how how does he how has he changed your mind to be like, "Oh, yeah, he's, he's pretty good." Oh, uh, well, I I think what you're seeing from like the I think the biggest difference from last year to this year is uh like the amount of turnovers are are way down from last year. Uh I mean, and and they're a lot more. I think their passing game is a lot more efficient. Like they're getting more yards and more touchdowns out of their offense than they were last year. You know, they had they had a lot of games where uh, Wentz would have, I guess, like some empty games where you know maybe he would throw up 300 yards, but it'd be like zero touchdowns or one pick or maybe a fumble in there. But this year they're they're rolling. I I think you know you you still see some issues where he gets cemented in the in the pocket a bit and kind of locks onto his first read but if the protection's there and the throw is there like that's not too much you can complain about I mean I'm not gonna I'm not gonna crucify a guy for uh for 
locking onto a read if the throw is getting there and the offensive line protection is done. I mean, that's that's just good offense. It is what it is. Uh, I mean, I, I'm wrong all the time. I'm, I'll be wrong again in the future. <laughs> we uh, all are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's that's see, that's that's the fun of it. Like people were like people. The, the, I think the hard part as an outside fan of uh, of, of like I guess the NFC East is when you have a if you just tweet anything about Dak or you tweet anything about Wentz. Either you're going to have Cowboys fans blowing up your mentions or you're going to have Eagles fans blowing up your mentions. So I was like, hey, can we just for the duration of these guys' careers, just split up the NFC East? <laughs> so first of all, it's more geographically sound. And then second of all, so the rest of us don't have to get sucked into this once and back debate. Well, yeah, I mean, you're going to now. And the funny thing is, and because I was uh, profoundly wrong on Jared Goff going into his second year as well, it's kind of the same Thing like which, where, where does he end up in this mix? Because now it's ending up to be a pretty good quarterback class uh, with with those three guys in it. And thank God, because the NFL is going to be uh, a lot more entertaining as we move on. Where where does Jared Goff fit in this situation for you now? Uh, I mean, he, I think he's good too. But I w- I would still, if I had to rank, just if I had to rank those three quarterbacks from that class, I mean, Paxton Lynch doesn't exist anymore. So oh yeah, I, for, I think see, I, would, I forgot about him all, completely already. And that was like a, that was a pretty good darling for most of, for most of draft Twitter as well. Like that was supposedly supposed to be the guy, you know? Yeah. I, I think Dak and Wentz are in their own tier and then jo- Goff is like just behind that. But I think what Goff has done this year has just been <laughs> absolutely incredible. If you, if you, I think if you look in terms of uh, his adjusted net yards per attempt, uh, com- from this year compared to last year, he's on track for like by far the biggest jump all time in terms of uh, improvement in efficiency in the passing game. So, I mean, to go from being a, a literally literally like worse than Blaine Gabbert level quarterback last year to now boasting one of the best offenses in the league. I mean, Sean McVay has done a lot to help that offense. I think adding Robert Woods and Andrew Withworth and Sammy Watkins and Todd Gurley being a full health and coming back to life has helped. But, you know, you still got to give credit to Goff where credit's due because he is playing a lot better than last year. And he's uh, he's in, uh, under much better control of the offense. He doesn't seem as jittery. It's just it's a really fun time to be a, a fan of football. You know, I, Sam, before Deshaun Watson got hurt, which obviously uh, broke yeah. a lot of people's hearts, mainly mine. But, uh, you know, you're having like, Dak, uh, Deshaun, Wentz, Goff, they're all playing really well. So I think it bodes well for the league's future to kind of have this next wave of young quarterbacks stepping up as the old guard kind of moves out. And you know what's funny, too? It's like the I, – and I was the same way with Watson, except like is it Peter King kind of ruined that for me a little bit because he went on the the total P, Peter King quote tweet uh, – you know, uh, thought the waitress would cry when he told her Robin Williams had died or whatever, and he basically yeah, did the same. Yeah, that was so weird. That's the he's weirdest thing ever. He's not. And I love it's. And when you meet Peter King in person, he's like the nicest guy ever. And you would have uh, tons of conversations, and it's just I don't know. His his Twitter ends up being really weird about that. Uh, I'm gonna put your feet to the fire a little bit though now, because it is hey, it's Eagles country, and and, and I, I would pr- I'm pretty sure you're choosing Dak over. Wentz for the rest of his career, or do I have that wrong? I mean, still up to I mean up to this point, I I still like I still think Dak's a better quarterback. Like I I, I think once you get so we I think the, some people are talking about this on Twitter earlier this week where once you get past the top three, like where Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, uh, Tom Brady, I think like you could make a case for for Dak there at that fourth spot. 
I think you could. I think, it, yeah, and, and I mean, like, uh, Russ is still probably going to be there for me yeah, over like, those two like guys. Russell, Russell Wilson, but, like, like in that tier, you could have, like, Dak, Wentz, Russell Wilson. But I, I think that with the way – I just like the way that Dak plays, for the most part, turnover-free football. I mean, he's only thrown eight interceptions his entire – or through uh, 24 games so far. He scored 49 touchdowns. He has – seven fumbles so you're looking at 49 touchdowns to 15 turnovers i i i like that uh just efficiency and he's still making the big plays down the field and he's still adding value with his legs so just the like the mobile quarterback that doesn't turn the ball over like i really like tyrod taylor too so that's that's kind of my my architect archetype but i i do like dak over once interesting interesting uh yeah i it's uh I, and obviously, we're all going to have our, our biases that go throughout here. I just don't know how. Because wasn't the point of – wasn't the whole reason why Carson Wentz couldn't be the guys because he didn't throw downfield. And now, like, yep. he's doubled what Dak Prescott has been able to do thus far throughout this season. Isn't that kind of like – wasn't that an important critique of Dak does that and Carson doesn't? And now that he's doubled it, like, it's still for some reason – I, I don't know. Like he doesn't get credit for that now, or the air yards are all all that stuff. Why 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 was that such a concern? I guess last year and now that he's shown it this year, it's kind of like okay, yeah, whatever. Like they moved on to the next thing. Uh, I don't know. I see. I wasn't I wasn't too big on air yards last year. I mean, that's just that just kind of is ways. I mean, especially like when you're when you're in your first year coming from like coming from a. From Andy Reid's system, in terms of Doug Peterson, usually you don't tend to, I guess, stray too far from what you just learned because you know you're still getting used to being a head coach and having all these new responsibilities. So he was just kind of going with like that base, uh, I guess, kind of short checkdown game. Very uh, boring, by like, the way. <laughs> extremely boring. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, awfully boring to watch. But I mean, and I mean, last year they didn't really have the weapons to go downfield like you, you didn't i mean it was just nelson Aguilar and jordan matthews at the time it, i mean it, it was it wasn't a great receiving core but i i don't know i i kind of just like when i watch the game uh i think sometimes you can tell like what quarterbacks are doing pre-snap and what what i think is really impressive about dak is like he works out of uh empty a lot which is you know three receivers on one side two receivers on the other side no backs in the backfield so it's almost always five man protection, and you know he's audibling a lot into the right plays versus the coverage, and you know once does that too, but uh, I don't think it, to the same degree. I just kind of like the whole command that Dak has over that entire passing game and the way he runs it, and then the efficiency to not really ever turn the ball over through twenty four games has been most impressive to me. But obviously, Wentz has, has taken a huge step forward this year. I mean, he, he's on pace to throw forty one touchdowns and nine picks, and. I think uh, he and Dak are two and three in ESPN's quarterback ranking behind uh, the aforementioned Deshaun Watson. Ah, yes, of course. And, uh, yeah, and that's what I – it'll be kind of funny if this ends up being after all this and, like, you know, people people planted their flags on this side and this side, that it ends up being, like, a, a, the next Brady versus Manning. Like, that's the thing in the, in the NFC East, and it's – kind of transferred over, and I'm sure that would make a ton of people happy. But, Charles, we appreciate it, man, and, uh, you know, talk to your boys. Uh, see if they can win uh, this weekend. It, it would make a lot of people in Philadelphia very happy. Yeah, it would, but uh, I'm I'm kind of on the Jaguars bandwagons for the rest of the season. So. <laughs> there it is. That'll make, hey, that's going to make my girlfriend happy. So that's uh, she, the, the random Jags fan in New Jersey. Who would have thought? Could, wouldn't <laughs> it be perfect for this ridiculous season to end with, like, a Jaguars-Eagles Super Bowl? Yeah, and Blake Bortles getting uh, getting an opportunity to go in—that's insane. 
I can't even yeah. I can't even accept that in my brain. But I we will accept Jalen Ramsey because my God, he's the best. He is the, the like best. I really he needs to be the next superstar. He and he needs to be in a bigger market. Like that's that that he's down in Jacksonville is is uh, is not good enough. I can't believe the amount of smack talk against AJ Green that made my weekend. All right, Charles, we uh, we thank you very much, my friend, and uh, yeah, go uh, follow him on Twitter at Four Verts. That is Charles McDonald. All right, another Friday conversations in the books. A big thank you to Ben Livingston. Once again, you can follow him at BLIV94, B-L-I-V-94 on the Twitter.com. And, of course, once again, to Charles McDonald for joining us. As I know, listen, we're going to be fighting with Draft Twitter, but it doesn't mean that they don't know some good stuff. So we'll keep that going as well. I want to thank you all for listening and enjoying another Friday with me. Drink slow, drink often, and drink responsibly, my friends. We will see you next week. Yeah.